It's derby time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll go to many distant lands. With Dan the coach and Jackie the skater, the fun will never end. It's derby time. Welcome to the Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby Podcast. This is Jackie Bauer. Thank you for joining me today on the path to becoming better athletes, teammates, leaders, and human beings. Hi there, listeners. Welcome to a story time with Jackie episode. This one was a request from a listener asking about the history of roller derby. Today, I'm going to cover the history of roller derby from 1935 to 1999. Wow, can you even believe it that it started that long ago? Actually, it was in 1884 that the first organized speed skating races were occurring on roller skates. But then later on, in 1935, film publicist Leo Seltzer was put in charge of creating and hosting events at the Chicago Coliseum at the intersection of 15th Street and Wabash Avenue. I've actually been there. It's kind of uh, an interesting place. I didn't even know that there was so much history there at the time. Leo owned some movie theaters and promoted another endurance spectacle, the Walkathon. So epic. Amazing. <laughs> he needed something new, and he also wanted women, because he knew having women would sell tickets. Leo took advantage of people being super into roller skating and took an idea from these like six-day bicycling races that were super popular at the time, and he combined it with roller skating. And so, Transcontinental Roller Derby was born. It was a month-long endurance skating spectacle. It was like a cross-country skating race, but it consisted of 25 two-person teams skating around a wooden oval track for 57,000 laps. Those of you who don't like doing 27 laps in five minutes, imagine skating (laughs) 57,000. Team members skated 11 and a half hours per day, eventually skating a distance of 3,000 miles, about the distance from New York to California. If both members were off the track at the same time, they were disqualified. You had to compete so many laps a day or you would be eliminated. You couldn't just take time off. The teams were usually one man and one woman with men skating against men and women skating against women, and they would trade off at regular intervals. This competition could last as long as 42 days. The contestants all ate and slept at the venue that they skated at. There were these cots, and they put them all in the middle of the track, and there were a bunch of nurses around monitoring them. And actually, the athletes got six meals a day, which is good because you can only imagine how many calories they're burning skating that long in a race. And one of the requirements of being in this competition is you could not actually leave this venue at all till the race was done. And nine of the first 25 teams finished the first official derby. 
Then after the success of the first one, they went on the road throughout the U.S. with a portable track. It was one of the cheapest forms of sporting entertainment. Leo often provided tickets at a discount. He knew that the audience he was attracting couldn't afford much. Uh, you could buy a 25-cent ticket voucher for only a dime at your local grocery store. What a deal! <laughs> Roller Derby fans never paid full price because, quote, Americans love discounts, unquote. <laughs> I mean, you might have to pay 55 cents to a whole $3 to see the Cubs, White Sox, Bears, or Blackhawks in Chicago. And working class fans could just sit in this lovely air-conditioned arena for 10 cents and relax as the skaters went round and round. It's probably really soothing. <laughs> Leo Seltzer read an article where a New York journalist, Damon Runyon, pointed out that the most exciting moments were collisions between skaters. So this sport became a contact sport, and players were encouraged to elbow each other, give pushes, or dramatically fall to be more entertaining. Hmm. <laughs> The length of the race went down, and gradually the idea of having just two teams emerged. Two five-person teams, skating together for 15-minute periods, earning points when members lapped others. So just a little bit closer to the sport we might recognize today. Then sadly, in 1937, there was a tragic event. On March 24th, while traveling from St. Louis to Cincinnati, a chartered bus carrying 23 skaters and associates blew out a tire and crashed into the support structure of a bridge in Salem, Illinois. There was an explosion and 40-foot flames erupted. 18 or 19 people burned to death on the bus. Newspaper wasn't sure when it was reported. The driver and another passenger flew through the windshield. Some made it to the hospital, but then succumbed to their injuries later. These were popular skaters at the time, like Joe Cleats and Libby Hoover, who died. Another source said that the death total might have been over 40 skaters and personnel. Oh, that's such a bummer. I, I can't even imagine what they must have been like. That's pretty scary. And then later, by 1941... The sport had grown and gained almost 4 million spectators. I'm not even sure we have 4 million spectators today, to be honest. I wonder how many spectators we do have, how many fans Roller Derby has today. 4 million people, that's pretty big. Wow. But then, you know, this was the time of World War II, so athletes were enlisting, which hurt the sport, but by the end of the war, Seltzer was able to pick up where he left off. By 1948, roller derby made it onto television. There were crowds of 500 to 7,000 people watching live, and TV made roller derby players into stars. It was really rough and aggressive with intense rivalries. We showed a lot of the footage on the Twitch channel. I hope you'll get a chance to watch the YouTube show where I'm going to sum all this up, where you can see some of this footage. It was crazy. It was really, really crazy. <laughs> In 1949, the National Roller Derby League was founded and the first Roller Derby World Series was held. 
For the first five years, the title went back and forth between the New York Chiefs and the Jersey Jolters. In 1952, a roller derby Hall of Fame was established. See, this is something else I didn't know before. I didn't know that there was a roller derby Hall of Fame. I had no idea this was a thing. There are names like Ken Monty, Burt Wall, Midge Tuffy Brashen, Josephine Ma Bogash. I also found the website for it, which is kind of this old style website that hasn't been updated in a while. And I'm going to have the link to that in my show notes, which you can find on Patreon anytime you want. In 1953, roller derby became overexposed on TV, so roller derby left the U.S. and started a European tour skating in Paris, Madrid, Barcelona, and London. Later in the 1950s, the roller derby base of operations was moved from Madison Square Garden. Wow. Can you imagine performing there? That'd be incredible. To Los Angeles. And new teams were established, the Los Angeles Braves and the California Bombers. But roller derby was confusing for fans. Was it real? Was it staged? Some fans really liked the theatricality, but others were understandably turned off by it. It was, it was, a, little, it was a little weird. <laughs> In the 1960s, Seltzer handed off the league to his son, Jerry Seltzer. He moved to Northern California, creating the San Francisco Bay Bombers. Stars of the time included Captain Anis, or maybe Anise, I'm not actually sure, uh, the nickname Big Red Jensen, and Golden Girl Joan Weston. We watched a lot of footage of Joan uh, on the Twitch show, and it was, it was really fun. Joan was something. This decade brought changes like helmets being mandatory. Thank goodness. And the roller games were created, but they were a slightly different version than what came later. Still, it was kind of a bit of a joke. Is this comical theatrical race, and it was the only real competition to the National Roller Derby League. Roller Derby made it into magazines like Time, Life, and Sports Illustrated. Pretty big deal. Jerry tried to bring changes to appeal to a bigger audience, but it didn't work, and attendance continued to stay on the decline. Now we're in the early 1970s, where there's a slowing economy and rising fuel costs. Made it harder to travel with the skaters and all the equipment, of course the track. Televised bouts with professional wrestling levels of theatrics couldn't even revive people's interest in it. They just couldn't afford these operating costs anymore, and the original Roller Derby League skated its last game on December 8th, 1973 in New York. Jerry sold everything to National Skating Derby. In the late 70s and early 80s, Derby stars refused to skate the more theatrical style, and fans stayed home. An attempt was made in L.A. focused around beautiful women with little skating talent and soap opera drama. So that was a thing. And then, in 1989, Roller Games debuted. It took place in the Super Roller Dome, where all matches were broadcast. A figure eight track was used where one side was banked. It had obstacles like the Wall of Death, which was this really heavily banked side, and the Jet Jump. Players who scored were called Jetters, 
kind of familiar, uh, who wore helmets and got points for how high they got on the wall of death without going over the wall of death. And the jet jump had a 12-foot marker that allowed six points if the jetter got past it and two if the jetter landed in front of it. And they had to land safely. So you had this jump where you were going airborne. And depending on how far you got, determined how many points you would get. Only four skaters were on the track at a time instead of five for each team. And you also got a point for lapping each opponent. The cycles were... 45 seconds long, no matter what the period clock said. There were four six-minute periods cut down from eight 12-minute periods. And then, for a tiebreaker, two skaters would skate around a pit full of alligators. That's right, I said alligators. (laughs) The first skater to skate around the pit five times or throw their opponent into the alligator pit was declared the winner. Seriously. Funny thing is, though, the debut episode was the only time live alligators were used, and no ties happened after that, conveniently. (laughs) Players got penalties and had to sit in a pod. If they got penalties between periods or after the end of the game, they would be fined, because roller derby players got paid back then. It ended up being a flop, but we watched a lot of this on the Twitch show, and it was so funny. The 80s hair, the drama, the cheerleaders, the Tarzan-dressed dude carrying an alligator. Like, it's epic. Like, really, please go check out the whole YouTube video if you want to see some of this, because my words just don't do it justice. (laughs) It was something. And actually, they later made a roller derby game, video game for Super Nintendo, and it was called Roller Games. And you would skate around as as a couple of different players. You would skate through the streets and avoid things like jets of fire and grenades and jump over barrels and things. A helicopter at one point came by and was dropping stuff on you. It was epic. And then at the end of each level, you just kind of have to like punch and kick some bosses and like knee some people. And oh my gosh, we, I think we watched that playthrough for, I'm not sure how long, 10 to 20 minutes. It was so fun. It had the old school music in the background. It was just a blast. Like I can't recommend it enough. (laughs) And the last bit of history I have for you is that in 1999, Spike TV produced Roller Jam. It was a classic style roller derby on a wooden banked oval track and inline skates could be used, but some still chose traditional quad skates. And there was like a bit of drama with it too. But that is the history of roller derby from 1935 to 1999. If you have any other fun facts I missed in my research, please let me know. I would be curious to find out more. I did learn a lot of things I didn't know, and this was really interesting. Um, Alligator pits. That's what's going to stick with me the most, I think. Alligator pits. I just can't help thinking about how popular roller derby was in its earlier form and how much the sport has changed. And I love what the sport is now. I love the changes that have happened because... It's so athletic. You have to be really good at this to do it well. And I still love how accessible it is that anyone can join our sport and learn it. It's 
this amazing thing. And I, I wish more people knew about it now. That would be really great. But maybe if we keep telling stories, that'll help. I'm going to put up my show notes with my links to sources on Patreon. It'll be accessible to the public. You can find it at patreon.com slash whistle. And I'm going to have the YouTube video up real soon on our YouTube channel. And you can see me telling the story with all the footage. And the footage is so good. It's so fun. I'll also have a link to the playlist of videos I used if you just want to spend a little bit more time with those videos and look back on the, the black and white and the fighting and the outfits and everything that made this time period so fascinating to look back on. Thanks for listening to my story. If you have any requests of a story you'd like to hear, feel free to reach out. I'm open to ideas. This has been a Storytime with Jackie episode. If you want to hear these stories live with the accompanying video footage, I would encourage you to join me on my Twitch show that is now taking place regularly on Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. You can chat with me and let's just watch some derby together. (laughs) We have been talking about derby. And sharing derby stories. Pew, pew. I'm going to have to work on that. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby Podcast. I really hope those laser beams of positivity will carry through your day. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram or Twitter at PowerForthWhistle. That's P-O-W-E-R, the number four, T-H-W-H-I-S-T-L-E. You can find fun videos of On and Off Skates training at our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Instagram. You could also support the podcast on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. The benefits of becoming a patron include fun stuff I can send you, like stickers, buttons, or shirts from our Threadless store. You can get access to our Discord server, bonus content, and free giveaways. Plus, patrons now have access to an ad-free version of the podcast that will download to your favorite podcast app each week, and everyone can access our transcribed episodes at patreon.com slash powerforthwhistle. If you like the content we provide and want to support us on this journey, please consider becoming a patron. If you want to expand your derby wardrobe, of course, another way to support the podcast is visiting our store at powerforthwhistle.threadless.com, where you can get our designs on just about any type of apparel or accessory you can dream up. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you can. Leaving reviews is still the best way to help this podcast be found and spread those laser beams of positivity to more humans. Plus, it's a way you can give back that is completely free. Open up your Apple Podcast app, punch those stars, and leave me a pew pew!